0: Hi. <laughs> Again. Um, so oh, I'm, uh, I am want to explore sound this evening. Um, mindfulness of sound. It's something that has been a part of my practice longer than I even realized. And something just recently after a one-month retreat last November um, has become a major focus in my practice. So I've been exploring it a lot. And um, I think part of this exploration for me is teaching it. So just giving this talk and having to reflect on it has actually become part of my learning. What do I know about sound? And how does it inform me? And why am I finding it so profound? Sound itself, I don't know that that is really a profound thing but there are actually so many subtle lessons that I am uh, finding within this practice of being mindful of sound. And so I want to share that with you um, with the hopes that maybe it'll resonate for some of you, uh, maybe it'll spark some curiosity for some of you, um, and maybe for some of you it'll just uh, maybe plant a seed for the next time you're sitting in the hall and a cell phone goes off, or you know suddenly uh, you hear whispering in the back, or you know there's cars honking outside, and what to do with that noise. Um, so we'll talk about distracting noise as well as some other noises that I've become more and more attuned to. So this should be kind of interesting. I hope, um, hopefully, a little fun. And to start, I want to uh, actually have you guys explore your relationship with sound. So to do this, upstairs. To do this, I'd like you to get into groups, maybe of three, and um, just discuss together. Maybe just go from person to person around um, what your relationship is to sound in your practice. And for some of you, sound might be just really agitating. For some of you, you may find it really soothing and a big part of your practice. For some of you, you may have never even thought about practicing with sound. Uh, for some of you, maybe uh, you have hearing loss or uh, is it tendonitis? the ringing? Yeah, so maybe that is something that you're having to um, build a relationship with. And so maybe there's some sensitivity to this idea of exploring sound. Maybe that doesn't sound so fun to you. So I want you to explore that for yourself. If you're feeling like um, a small group is not really your thing tonight, I want to welcome you to just sit silently and explore it by yourself. That's fine, too. Um, So if you could get into groups of three... And uh, I'll ring the bell as a warning uh, before we come back so you can uh, collectively complete yourself and then we'll talk about it a little bit as a group, okay? So maybe just two more minutes. wrap up uh, what your your sentence or your thought and we'll just come back as a group. Okay. (laughs) Come back. Great. (laughs) Oh, I did say I'd ring the bell, didn't I? No, sorry. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so what did you come up with? Anyone want to share? What your group either discussed together or something you found interesting or... Something you said that surprised you? Yeah, let's do that. It was hard. Yeah, uh, do you mind saying why? No, uh, you mean, because uh, no one's answering me? Well, <laughs> no, I mean that 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 indicated something to me, and as far as um, the use of sound and practice, um, mm. um, uh, beats me, says my heart. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to answer. Yeah. The fact, well, the fact that, you know, that there, there wasn't ready answers is. Yeah. There weren't re- ready answers. Yeah. So maybe it's something, um, new to contemplate for, for some. Yeah. Anything, anything else? You guys were definitely talking, so... <laughs> I know you were saying something. Oh, okay. Yeah, Petra. Can you hear it okay? When I first started meditating, little sounds, I would have a lot of annoyance with them. Yeah. And um, when I would... Uh, Come to the monastery, and I would hear people come in and out. It would bother; it would distract me from my meditation. But it doesn't do that anymore. It's just a sound coming in and a sound going out, Mm -hmm. and um, that's all the way around easier. I was saying I have a clock. I used to move it when I was time to meditate. Now I never move the clock. It's just I don't. It's just there, and uh, it doesn't. um, I don't have a lot of energy around it. It just. Is there. uh, Like a ticking clock? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I uh, Mm -hmm. feel more peaceful about sound. And um, I just, it's part of my, part of what's happening. Anything else? Yeah. She said she loves the sound of objects, but not the sound of people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the sound of cars passing by on the highway. Uh I love that. You love that? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. But people talking. or People noises. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It gets kind of annoying. Yeah, any kind of people noise. Isn't that interesting that there's a difference? But I love water or cars or anything. Anything Uh that's an object. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So we'll talk about just our relationships with sound a little bit. Anything
1: different? Hmm, okay. Hi, my name is Jason. Hi. And um, a couple of months ago, I went on a retreat uh, to uh, Deer Park with Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh-huh. And one of the things they do there is they play the bells every 15 minutes. And it's kind of a very simple reminder just to come back. Hmm. And I like sound can be very effective like that, um, whether it's birds or anything simple. And. Um, the other thing I think about sound is really important is um, is music, mm-hmm. and uh, you know pacing and uh, the the power of music to communicate a message, whether it's a chant, um, like we just did, or um, I saw this guy named Krishna Das uh-huh. in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago, and that was, was like a, you know um,
0: kirtan. A, a devotional chanting yeah. kirtan,
1: yeah. And so that was that was really powerful too. So,
0: great.
1: I think sound has a lot of potential.
0: Mm-hmm a lot of potential. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah. So uh, I think what I'll do is tell you a little bit about what I've discovered about sound. Um, When I first started meditating, Ghidra, my experience was very much like yours, and I think it's probably a really common one, And and actually, I uh, resonate with what you said as well, as far as the um, object noises weren't quite as annoying as the people noises. And I found I was really distracted by sound. I was really picking up on it. And what I was trying to do is pay attention to my breath. That's the way that I was taught and trained, was to bring my attention back to my breathing and doing that over and over and over again. So that was my object to um, come back to. And sound was, in my view at the time, a distraction from that object of breath. And so um, sometimes there was sound like cars going by or birds or even bells. Um, That would just be a background noise. But every once in a while, there would be a noise that would grab my attention. And suddenly I was off the breath and onto the noise. And from there a lot of thought being stimulated from that noise. But I didn't know enough to really turn towards that and investigate. I didn't really know how to investigate yet. For some of you, uh, especially if you're new to practice, you might not know how to investigate yet. So maybe, uh, hopefully, this will give you some clues as to how to go about doing that. Um, So then later on, I I started to find that sound was quite pleasant, that uh, I could actually get concentrated by paying attention to certain sounds. But they had to be really pleasant sounds. So there was a condition attached to it. So I was on one retreat, and um, it was at a farm uh, in the South Bay, and the retreat was being held kind of in a community center area of this farm. And the rest of the farm during the week was open to school groups. So you would have kids going on tours around the farm and learning about sustainability and gardening and things like this. You had animals and all this activity going on. So it was quite loud. Um, But I remember sitting uh, outside one day and it was warm and the sun was shining down, and I was listening to all of these kids. And there was laughter and there was playing, and I wasn't really engaged in the storyline of what I was hearing. but I noticed that there was this real pleasant, warm, kind of happy feeling arising. And I noticed that as that was arising, I began to be very calm in my body. I started to relax. Which I believe, if my, my memory serves me, uh, before that moment, that retreat was really difficult. I was struggling with a lot of body pain and distraction and anxiety. Uh, which is usually what accompanies me at the beginning of a retreat. And suddenly there was this relief. And I just remember everything kind of falling into place, where my attention was strong, my body was relaxed, and then my mind was able to relax. And I suddenly got concentrated in my practice. And I realized that this happened because of sound, which I had never Um, explored before. Up until that moment, it was all about breathing and and really concentrating on my breath. But my breath wasn't really involved. This time it was sound. And that kind of blew me away. I didn't know that that was a possibility, especially with it being actually a lot of sound. (laughs) They were, um, you know, laughing and screaming at each other and there were little kid dialogues going down the path and, you know, there was a lot going on. But I was able to actually get concentrated with that sound because I was able to just fully open to it and uh, just allow it to be there, and there was relaxation. And with that relaxation and mindfulness came the concentration. But I didn't really understand how that was working at the time. It was just kind of this clue that was dropped in. On later retreats, I noticed other sounds Uh, The two-month retreat is going on right now. How many of you have sat the two-month at Spirit Rock before? A few. So if you've been up there in February and March, you'll know that the frogs are um, mating at this time of year in the creek, right behind the meditation hall. And so you hear the, you know, ribbit (laughs) noise, (laughs) Constantly. I mean, I guess it's not constant. It's on and it's off. It goes in these waves, and you can hear them—the frogs calling out to each other, looking for their mate—and there's a lot, you know, a lot of noise. And um, I was on a retreat. I think two years ago, I was sitting the two-month retreat, and I found it actually quite annoying the first month. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's a long time <laughs> to have an annoyance but there it was and then there was the softening that happened and I realized that the frogs didn't change the frogs were the same but there was something that happened to me that changed it was just my relationship with that sound that was suddenly different so suddenly there here was another kind of Clue um, that sound was something quite powerful and something that I could really look at and pay attention to and learn a lot from. But I didn't really understand it yet. In this last retreat um, that I was on in November, uh, I, I started to... Um, the second half of the month was very calm and relaxing for me. Um, The first half, not so much. (laughs) There was a lot of turbulence and a lot of uh, aversion that was coming up. And then there was this um, breaking away of that where my body settled down, my mind settled down, and I started to become really acutely aware of sound everywhere. It was the thing that was the most prominent in my experience wherever I went. And what I was noticing was this very high pitch, kind of kind of... I don't even know if I can make the noise, but it was just this vibration that was happening in the silence. It was the silence. I was hearing the silence, essentially. And it was there all the time. And it was there when I wanted to sleep. (laughs) It was there when I was meditating. It was there when I was eating, and I thought that maybe I had done something to my eardrum. (laughs) You know, maybe I was trying too hard and I blew something in there or something, or there was water back there. I don't know. The mind goes into all kinds of scenarios on retreat. Um, I certainly did something wrong because it was too weird to be natural. But I, after a while, I kind of liked it. It became this constant um, presence for me to pay attention to. And the more that I practiced with it, and pra- I, I started to open up to the sounds around me. And what I noticed when I did that was there was this amazing spaciousness that was happening. So not only was I opening up to the sound around me, but I was also just opening up in general to whatever was happening in my experience. And somehow sound ended up being the gateway for that. And I'm gonna get into a little more about why that was, I think, now that I've come out of retreat and I've explored it in more detail. But it was really quite profound for me at the time that it was even a possibility um, as a focus point. And while I was there, uh, there's a library uh, I was at the Forest Refuge, if you've ever been there. They have this nice little library with Dharma books. And I came across this one by Ajahn Sumedho um, called The Sound of Silence. And so I saw that, and I went, well, i got to check that out. And I read it, and it was one of those books that, at the time, it was like he was, he was speaking my language. He, he wrote it for me, I'm sure of it. <laughs> it. was how it felt. You know, when you read a uh, book when it just hits the right spot right at the right time, it just makes so much sense. And that's how that was for me. And it was, um, I'll talk a little bit more about it, but it basically he was expressing uh, what I was experiencing. And it is actually a major practice for him. So Ajahn Sumedho, how many of you know who Ajahn Sumedho is? <laughs> Okay, some of you. So he is, um, he was actually uh, one of the head monks. He was the head monk uh, for Amaravati and Chithurst in uh, in, in the UK, uh, which are two forest monasteries uh, from the Ajahn Chah lineage. Ajahn Chah was a major master, uh, Theravadan master, in... Uh, the forest tradition in Thailand, and you know uh, Jack Cornfield practiced under him, and actually was uh, a brother in robes with Ajahn Sumedo. Um, but uh, if you know who Ajahn Amaro, who some who used to come and visit this monastery on Tuesdays, Ajahn Amaro has now uh, taken up there and uh, taken over for Ajahn Sumedo. So that's the link there so you have some reference. But anyway, so he is um, an amazing teacher. And this is one of his main practices, is working with sound. And if we have time, I might read a little bit from this. Um, But it was really wonderful. It gave me permission for the first time, or it felt like I was being given permission for the first time to not worry so much about the breath, not even worry so much about the body, Not even worry so much about doing it right, (laughs) I think was what was happening. And just opening up to what was, which was sound at the time. Um, And since then, I've been able to really reflect over the years in my relationship with sound and how it's actually been so prominent. But I've had this tendency to really push it away or ignore it or notice it and then come back. It's just kind of that nuisance Uh, experience that's just happening, floating around somewhere, and doesn't really have anything to do with my meditation practice. But now that's really changed for me. And actually, when I really reflect on it, um, I was thinking about it today, actually, in preparation to come here. I think that my experience with sound goes all the way back to uh, when I was maybe fifth grade, sixth grade. When, uh, at the time, I lived in Illinois, in just out, uh, outside of Chicago, and we, had, we have a family cabin in Michigan uh, that uh, uh, we would go up to, and it's in the middle of kind of nowhere. <laughs> um, you drive in, and it's all dirt paths. It's still, there's no roads paved around this lake that the, the cabin is on, and uh, it's really peaceful there and quiet. And in the wintertime, it's even more quiet. People don't really go there in the winter. It snows a lot. So um, you have to call ahead to have them actually plow a path to your door. Uh, but we used to go. We used to go because there was skiing nearby. So I have these really wonderful, just fond memories of going up there as a kid. And one of my my all-time favorite thing was actually going up there in the wintertime and then at night going out on the lake, which was, would be frozen, uh, and lay on my back, and I'd be all by myself, lay on my back and look up at the stars, and it'd be completely black so you'd see the whole Milky Way and it was very impressive. But what really struck me as a kid was the silence. I had never heard silence before. It really was the first time that I was exposed to such silence. And it stayed with me. It was something that uh, I remember later on, um, you know, when they'd write, what did you do, or where's your favorite place, or what would you do over winter break, or something like that. I would write about it, because it was just so amazing to me. It was my favorite place, was that place on the lake, in the silence. And so silence, um, although it's actually quite really, in, when we talk about it in this way, it's kind of an exterior um, experience. Uh, we're ta- We're not necessarily talking about it as something that's happening within, but something that's happening outside of us that we are struck by. And actually often, not always, uh, some people are really uncomfortable with silence, which that's okay too. Uh, but sometimes we we kind of gravitate to that to that silence, and we're awed by that silence. How many of you have experienced that level of just pure silence before? Yeah. And how many of you who have experienced it um, were awed by it? Yeah. That's great. And I think there's something about it that we recognize. There's a possibility that we're seeing outside of ourselves that we kind of we want part of that within ourselves. There's something in us that recognize, recognizes the possibility of that silence, that stillness, and that that could maybe reside within us and when I reflect on it, as a kid, I, didn't, I don't think I saw it in that light, but I do remember wanting that. There was kind of this leaning towards it, wanting more of that. So I don't know if that's why I like meditation or not, but um, it certainly was a major uh, uh, influencer <laughs> for me. And so, what about that silence? It's really hard to find that that external silence here. I mean, even here in a meditation hall, it's actually quite loud. (laughs) Even while we're all sitting here and being quiet, there might be a moment or two of real silence, but, you know, people are moving a little bit and uh, clearing their throat or coughing or whatever. The door is opening, closing, um, people talking outside, there's a lot actually going on. I could hear the heat, I don't know if you can hear it, but I'm sure if we got really, really quiet we could hear the lights. <laughs> so there's, there's noise all around us. So looking for the silence externally, uh, it's not that easy, even within a meditation retreat, there's always plenty of sound. So then what I like to explore is the relationship with that sound. And how can we become quiet internally in response to the sound that's going on around us or the sound that's going on in our minds? Is there actually a possibility to have that quiet and stillness within us and I believe there is. And this is kind of where my exploration has gone, is that looking at the relationship between sound uh, externally and my internal world in relationship to that sound. So you were saying that objects were, not, were fine for you, or you, you even enjoyed them, but people <laughs> were not as enjoyable when they were making sound. And some of you nod when you hear that, so that's not that uncommon, which I agree. I can find myself getting really uh, internally snippy <laughs> when there's something external and I can put a face to it or there's a human quality about it. And you know the judging comes out, right? Well, they, they should know better than that. <laughs> Look at that! What are they doing? What a bad yogi! Does it, is everyone noticing this? You know, so it, it kind of it goes there. I would never do that. I wouldn't. Even, I would never imagine doing something like that, right? <laughs> Till you're caught doing that. <laughs> but that's kind of that's what we do. So we have this relationship to sound. But let's look at it really closely. So let's say that your neighbor is coughing, and it's really annoying. And we, okay, so we've, we've been triggered. And there's no blame in this trigger, by the way. It's really a human reaction. We just, we react. It's the reason we're reacting is because it's out of habit. And uh, we're actually not being quite so mindful in that moment of our reaction. That's all. So it's no big deal. But, okay, so we've got the reaction. This person is coughing. It's really annoying. I wish they would stop. And the mind starts going, maybe I should move to the other side of the hall. Maybe I should move to the back. Or maybe I should slip him you know, a, a cough drop or something like that. So we've been triggered. Now, the thing about sound is that sound is really just sound. It's all it really is. And yeah, there, there's something making that sound. It's a vibration happening from a physical object. That's creating the sound that we are then interpreting in our minds as being, you know, it's human, it's a car, it's an airplane. And then from there, it's, I like it, I don't like it. Right? And then from there, it's, I want more of it, or I really want it to go away. Something like that. So that's the process. But really, all it is is sound. And if we can open up to the possibility of it just being a sound and not being attached to whatever it is that our mind is making it into, suddenly uh, the possibility of trigger is not really available. There's no real uh, self involved in this sound. When we are being reactive to sound, it's almost like we are going out to that sound. Like we're going out and being distracted by it. Or we're going out and wanting more of it because it's pleasant. But really, uh, if you just sit back and open up to the fact that it's just sound and it's nothing else, there's no you involved, then it really can just be something that's arising in the present moment, and then passing, in the present moment, and there, there's no room really for uh, reaction. But this isn't this isn't easy because we've been trained to when there's a sound, our mind immediately goes to judging and categorizing what that sound is, and from there, it all just unfolds. So, is there a possibility? to just be with sound as sound. And there is that possibility. But it does take practice, and it takes a lot of attention. So if you're interested in sound, one practice could be simply noticing sound and noticing what your mind does with it. Are there images that come up for you? Are there storylines that come up for you? Is there a liking, disliking? or just a neutral kind of whatever, I don't really care about that sound, but this sound over here is much more interesting. So actually exploring how you are reacting to the sound around you. Normally what we do is a sound comes up, and we either react or we ignore it, and we are not aware of that reaction or uh, the ignoring And so sound can actually be this great teacher of our patterns with what is happening around us. It begins to actually train our mind to understand a little bit more about ourselves and our habits. So that's one way that sound can actually be um, quite profound when you think about it. Another, piece, another thing that I've been exploring around sound is um, its accessibility. Because sound is, often, is usually everywhere, um, I notice that it's much more accessible for me to pay attention to it than sometimes my breath or my body. So if I'm having a lot of anxiety or I'm really agitated, it's really hard to bring my attention and stay on my breath. Because uh, you know, either my body's really tight, or my heart's pumping, or my breath feels constricted, or something like that, and so it can be really difficult to pay attention internally in the body in times like this. Paying attention to sound, I found, was actually because it's so external, allows for spaciousness. It allows for something to actually put your attention on something outside of yourself. And this isn't to ignore what's going on inside, but actually what it does is create this larger container to pay attention to all that's happening. And so that was another thing that I found was incredibly helpful, paying attention to sound. I also noticed that, and this kind of ties into our relationship with sound and the spaciousness, is uh, that sound allows us to learn how to let go and allow things to be as they are. Because sound is so external, we can't control it. <laughs> I mean, I guess, like Idri, you were saying, the clock, we could move the clock out of the room and control that sound in that way. But really, there'll just be another sound that comes up, right? When we're in that kind of agitated mood, there's always something else that isn't quite right. And so sound is something that really we can't do a whole lot about. So there's this great lesson of acceptance and letting go with sound. So when we do hear something that agitates us, to really pay attention to that and see if we can just recognize wait a second, this is just sound. And then breathe into that or let go into that. And when I say let go, um, letting go, of course, is not just something you can make happen. (laughs) If you try to let go, there's some constriction there. What I mean by it is really just allowing whatever is there to be there. So it's this openness, this quality of this is the way it is. And within that openness and realizing this is the way it is, and not from a place of, okay, this is the way it is, can it go away now? But really this open uh, acceptance of this is the way it is. And that's where letting go comes from. And so with sound, we can learn this over and over again by simply opening up to our agitation with sound and seeing if we can just allow it to be there. Now, when we are open to sound in this way, when, uh, or at least this is what I've noticed that I've really been finding to be wonderful in my practice. When I can be with sound and be just with it and allow it to be just the way it is, and not try and push it away, not try to get more pleasant sound if that's what's happening. I hope this lasts forever. You know, when thoughts come up like that, when I can just simply be the observer of what's going on, suddenly there's no uh, there's no self involved. There's nothing I'm doing. To be creating this object of sound. Sound is just happening, has absolutely nothing to do with me. I can't even come up with a storyline in my mind to be that involved that I can be creating all that sound in the room. So suddenly, this idea of, of me is not so important. It doesn't really have a place. Does that make sense? So, Suddenly I'm, I'm becoming aware of uh, anatta, no self. There's no, there's no uh, relationship between that observing the sound and uh, this identified Kate or whatever, me sitting here, uh, me making something happen. There's no real room for that. Um, I'll just read something briefly from Ajahn Sumedho. He talks a little bit about this in uh, The Sound of Silence. He says, listen to the sound of silence. You can begin to contemplate non-thinking, because when you are just listening to the cosmic sound, there is no thought. It's like this, emptiness, not self. When you're just with the cosmic sound alone, there's pure attention, no sense of a person or personality, of me and mine. This points to Anatta. And when he's saying, he's talking about this cosmic sound, he's talking about, actually, the sound of silence. He's talking about that that buzz uh, that's always present. And that's, I think, the last thing I want to talk about. So there's all of this uh, sound that we can really identify or um, it's uh, maybe obvious sound coming from objects around us, like talking or, or wrestling of uh, clothes on the cushion or whatever. But then there's this other sound that I talked about earlier, the sound of silence, this high-pitched buzz. And um, and Ajahn uh, Ajahn Sumedha talks about this sound, and he calls it the cosmic sound. It's this um, sound that is reminding us that even within the silence, there's always movement, there's always change, there's always something happening. So even laying on the, the, the lake in the middle of winter where there's no cars, no people, no animals, complete and utter silence. There's still so much life, and there's so much going on that there's this sound, there's this buzz, this cosmic, universal buzz, and uh, and you can hear that in the silence. And it's not it's not the tendonitis or anything like that. It's uh, it's actually quite natural, and it's really pointing towards um this this, uh, this constant change, this constant um, involvement that has nothing to do with us. And so when he's talking about listening and just being that pure observer of this cosmic sound, that we can actually contemplate and remember that we are just part of this living organism, this si- sound of silence, all of this change and uh, uh, just atoms, really, <laughs> rubbing together and uh, bumping up with uh, against each other, and uh, that's all that's really happening in that moment. And that might sound a little far out, and you don't have to really go there with sound. But it is a possibility to experience this anatta, as well as this impermanence, this constant changing. And this is where sound can be quite profound. How do we go from no sound to no self? But it's actually quite simple because it's all really the same same thing. And so um, I think I'll, I'll end with that uh, and hoping that maybe this has created some interest and some possibility for you to explore sound a little bit more for yourself. But I want to spend the, the last 10 minutes uh, before we end together just hearing from you, um, now that I've talked a whole lot about it, you know, what are your thoughts on it? What, uh, what do you want to explore? Or what do you not understand um, about sound or what I'm talking about? Or, or maybe you have different ideas from what I said. Um, So I think this would be a nice time, if you have any thoughts around it, to share with everybody so that it's more of a group exploration. Where's my mic? Yeah, let's wait for the mic. Thank you. Yeah, I have a question, actually. So um, I notice when I'm very agitated, I feel like the only remedy for that is some sort of silence to calm myself internally, my mind and everything down. Um, And so what I'm struggling with, I have two little kids, and when they feel that I'm agitated, they get very loud. And the (laughs) only thing I want is just like, give me just a little bit of silence and I'll calm down and Mm -hmm. I know they will calm down and it's really hard to break that cycle for me to find the stillness inside when there's so much noise yeah around me how old are your kids three and four three and four so they're pretty young but um, what you can start to do uh, is start to uh, uh, show them what you're needing and so, if silence is really what you're needing, then and you may not get it directly from them, and that's not really something that we can control, <laughs> right? Um, but there can be something within yourself that recognizes simply what you're needing, and you recognizing that is mindfulness. I'm ne- I'm I'm about to blow my top. I'm really frustrated, or Agitated, or I'm, my anxiety level is really high right now. What I'm needing is some silence, and sometimes just that recognition, finding um, something grounding within just the fact that you're you're ready to take care, can be quite um, that uh, quite powerful. I think, and this is something to explore, of course, and see if this is true for you, um, but also just going and and sitting down where you are, if it's possible, um, and taking just a few moments of breath and letting them see what you're doing and maybe even verbalize as you're doing it. Mommy is sitting down and she's taking some breaths because she is getting really frustrated right now. And mommy is needing just a little bit of quiet so she can be with you right now. And really verbalizing, because even at that age, they're just sponges. So they're soaking all this up and and recognizing, mommy's frustrated. She's needing to take her breaths right now. And it's really wonderful. They will eventually start reminding you. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) They'll start reminding you to take your breath. So that's what I recommend to parents, because especially parents with young kids or even with older kids, it's hard to find that silence. You're, really, you're not going to get that silence. <laughs> and that's okay. That's when you start looking at your relationship with, with silence and with, with noise. Um, but in these moments where it's like, I'm really going to lose it, taking, taking refuge in your, in your wanting to take care of yourself and sharing that piece with your kids rather than the frustration piece. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's more of a response than the reaction. Yeah. You're welcome. Anything else? Where am I missing? Yeah, Mac, maybe.
1: Um, there's I've never talked. I don't know how to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm when I'm going through life in ordinary head mode, and something comes along, and I get picked up with, oh, I don't like it, or I do like it, or all that kind of stuff. One of the things that that particularly sound. It's like when something comes into one of the five senses, I'm called back out of my head in a way. Mm-hmm. I guess the, the trick though is to is to that notice, oh, this is something this is not my brain, you know, the brain is one of the six senses. Mm-hmm. This is not a sense organ originating from my brain. and that sometimes becomes for me, I, I don't know, a way to move into the simple, simple. I don't know, the physicalness of life or something like that, yeah. which doesn't have a, you know, I want it or I don't want it. Oh, it just is. And mm-hmm. I, I don't, somehow or other, it, it takes all the wanting or the not wanting out of the situation in some way. Yeah. And I just, I, I mean, it's interesting. I noticed that sound, some people get upset by sound. For me, it, like, brings me back to that quiet place sometimes.
0: (laughs) Sometimes, yeah. No, I I absolutely understand. Um, I notice that sometimes uh, even when I'm sitting, uh, especially with a group of people, and my mind starts going and I'm lost in thought, often what will bring me back is the person coughing or the person who is moving around a little bit or whatever. And that sound, it, it does. It's because it's ex- external to our mental processing at that moment. It it interrupts it. And I often find myself feeling quite grateful to that. That's what, how my relationship has changed uh, over time with sound. That was not always the case. But now I feel really grateful for that sound. Oh, thank you for interrupting that. That was going kind of crazy there. <laughs>
1: And, and of course, though any input, as we, I guess as we get more sensitive, I, it, smell hasn't happened for me yet. But I can imagine it. I know feeling warm or the pressure of sitting on something, or
0: like having a body response to it. Yeah, sure. I mean, it can be really nostalgic sometimes. So music does that to us really easily. I find that um, I end up playing music that reflects my mood or the mood I wish I was in. (laughs) And and I can feel that in my body, and I can feel it in my mood will sometimes even change with that sound. And all it is is sound. I mean, even the words, it's just sound, but I'm able to cognize it, make it into something, and make it into something about me. And it really is effective. <laughs> it affects me quite a bit. And I think that's, that's true for most people. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, I think we're about at time, unless anyone has one more thing. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for letting me explore that. I feel like I was a little rambly but um, I think this was really an exploration for me, too. So I really appreciate your attention and allowing me to do that. And I'll just do a quick um, uh, giving of the, the merit, and then we'll, we'll close that way. So um, just to reflect on everybody being here this evening, even those who needed to leave uh, early, Uh, making the effort to be here and be together as a community uh, because we are interested in truth and we're interested in dharma. And may the goodness of that pure action of just being here, may that in some way spread out uh, through us into our communities, into our families. Uh, May it not just be for us, may it be for all beings, everywhere.
1: Thank you for listening.